0: Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to worship at Hillhead, wherever we are this morning. Our service will be led by our minister, Katrina, but we'll also hear the voices of Ade, who will lead the Lord's Prayer in Yoruba, Alan, Talash, Tamara, Petri and Brian. Our musicians this morning are Paul and Leo, and in a moment or two, Nikiar and his mum will light our candle. Tonight at 7pm, our Zoom evening service will also be led by Katrina. This will be a service for One World Week, and you may like to have a candle ready to light during this evening service. Thank you to everyone who attended yesterday's church meeting. As Katrina mentioned, just towards the end of the meeting, there will be a couple of occasions this week when we're invited to chat further about the decision we made yesterday. So if you're free at either 7.30 tomorrow evening or 2.30 on Wednesday after, the other way around, uh, either 2.30 tomorrow afternoon or 7.30 on Wednesday evening, um, you're very welcome to drop into a Zoom conversation. So look out for those uh, Zoom invitations later on this afternoon. I'm also giving rolling notice of a church meeting at which we will hopefully be able to confirm our in-principle decision. And then just a wee final reminder that there's still time to contribute to our Operation Agri Harvest Appeal. You'll find the link to the Just Giving page in the October key, and that page will remain active until next Sunday. Next Sunday at 11am, Katrina will lead a reflective service for all souls and all saints. There will be no Zoom evening service next Sunday, but there will be an in-person service of grieving and gratitude at 7pm in St. John's Renfield Church. This will be a COVID safe service at which there will be an opportunity to light a candle in memory of loved ones who have died and Katrina will co-lead that in-person service next Sunday evening. But now it's over to Nikyar to light our candle as we move into worship. As we
1: gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
2: God's people gather here let us pray. We come to you our loving parent God knowing that you wait with arms outstretched to greet us a smile playing on your lips a twinkle in your eyes and love in your heart. We come to you knowing that your embrace is safe your smile genuine, your love unfailing, our welcome complete. In a world where fear roams freely, where hate quietly stalks, where mistrust and distrust are fueled by disappointment and abuse of power, it is so easy for us to become less than you desire us to be. Hiding our true selves, lest we be rejected. Staying silent in case we are rebuked. Avoiding conflict at all cost. As we rest in the security of your presence. As we reflect on stories of people that inspire and encourage us. And as we listen for your voice in scripture. May we discover again our unique worth as your children to dream new dreams, grasp new visions, and so be emboldened to live more fully for you and in the service of our neighbours. This we pray in the name of our brother Jesus. Amen.
3: Bow of for Rukore. Keep your bar ready. If a trenicare she near ye, be wanting she near home. For a long job, your journey. Darius, she wag you up. Be at in Darius, I want to share what you don't woo. Dog bow a low of busy sea. To read your bands, re,
2: So we're going to hear stories this morning of two more people who inspire us and first we're going to hear from Alan. Thanks
4: Alan. Well when the subject of inspirational people came up the name Terry Waite came into my mind. I didn't know much of him until the 1980s when he hit the headlines at a time when he was an assistant to the Archbishop of Canterbury who was then Robert Runsey, and was sent as an envoy to the Lebanon to try to secure the release of four British hostages. He had been assured a safe passage, but on arrival at Beirut, he was kidnapped, thrown into prison, and spent the next four years in solitary confinement. Unable to communicate, his family didn't know whether he was dead or alive until his final release after 1,763 days in captivity. On his release in 1991, he returned home and has spent his time helping in humanitarian and charitable causes, writing and lecturing. He helped found Hostages UK, now known as Hostages International, which provides support to hostages and their families. He has also been president of Emmaus UK, which helps the homeless and with, with which some of our members have been associated over the years. Despite this dreadful experience, Terry Waite did return to Beirut to reconcile with his his captors and in his own words lay to rest the ghosts of his past. On another occasion he appeared to travel, he offered to travel to Iran to negotiate on behalf of British sailors and marines settled Seized in disputed waters. Now I can't really follow this up, but the the word uh, I think the word offered suggests that he didn't go or wasn't allowed to go. However, he did make the offer, and in an interview he stated once, "If you are bitter, it will eat you up, and do more damage to you than to the people who have hurt you." He is now 82 years of age and lives in Cheshire. And yes, I think he is inspirational indeed. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Alan. When Terry Waite was released from captivity and when he flew back into the UK, one of the first things he did was to speak about a postcard that had reached him beyond all reasonable expectations whilst he was in captivity. It was a postcard showing a stained glass window in the Bunyan meeting house in Bedford. (coughs) Excuse me. And he, he talked about how he had received it and how he'd committed to memory the name of the person who'd sent it to him. And also what it said on the back of the postcard. It said, we remember you. We will not forget you. We continue to pray for you and for all people detained around the world. And he said that this had come to him at a time when he was at a very low ebb. The only thing he had was a Bible. He was in at that point in a windowless cell where he was held captive. And he said of this postcard, he'd looked at and he would thought, well, you know what, Bunyan, you're a lucky fellow. You have a window to see out of you have food to drink, food to eat and water to drink, you have your own clothes, you have a table and a chair, you have paper and means of writing. But he was so grateful to the person who had sent him this postcard, a woman by the name of Joy Brodier or Joy Brodier and in time he did in fact meet with her. When she was interviewed um, at the time, she was a 38 year old person. She's now in her late 60s. Um, she talked about how she had, had written this postcard and probably sent it without really stopping to think whether it would get there. It was basically a, a addressed to Terry Waite, care of Hezbollah, Beirut, Lebanon. She posted it and thought, well, will it get there? Won't it get there? But it did. Never actually met Joy Brodier, but um, we do have a mutual friend I discovered when I was researching her, digging around on the Internet this week. She now lives in France. She appears to be possibly somebody who teaches English as an additional language. But she is somebody who continues to live out her faith. And so both she and Terry Waite found inspiration in the story of John Bunyan, somebody from history who had been imprisoned for his faith and who is perhaps most famously known for his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. So we're going to sing some words from that story now. Who would Trivala see? Let them come hither.
5: When, when the message came through about this um, service, it was the middle of um, Nobel prize giving season. And uh, it was, it's always a, an emotional time for me because I remember her. Wangari Madhai who lived from 1940 and died in 2011. Professor Wangari Madhai, this Kenyan academic and firebrand with a heart for women and the environment shaped the way I interact with the world. A literal tree hugger, a freedom fighter, an unabashed lover of justice, Professor Wadai was the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And she did it with her feet squarely on the ground and her eyes firmly fixed on the horizon. In my view, her simple solutions to complex problems with wide reaching implications are worthy of dissertation level study. Her call to village women to plant trees to ensure to secure their food and protect their water sources was the start of a national struggle for women's rights at the grassroots level. Her fearless fight for democracy in a single party state, which pit her against a ruthless president, set the wheels in motion for so many more to speak truth to power and push for change. Professor, Madai's methods were controversial to those who didn't understand that her fight for nature is a fight for equality. She grew comfortable in spaces that did not welcome her because of her ethnicity, her womanhood, her class, her beliefs, her politics, her race, or her continental origin. And she used what she learned in those spaces to change her corner of the world. With her courageous activism spanning three decades, she was able to watch the seeds of hope she had planted, take root and begin to upend the systems of oppression and environmental degradation in her country, Kenya. Her story of the hummingbird, which tried to put out a forest fire all alone while all the other animals looked on, always manages to pull the the strings of my heart. How many times a day do news headlines and social media timelines make me wonder at the insignificance of any of my actions? But the little hummingbird, perhaps perhaps an image of Professor Madae's own spirit, elected to do the best it could to put out that forest fire. Perhaps sometimes, succeeding isn't always as important as trying. Professor Madae said, I will be a hummingbird, I will do the best I can, even when faced with seemingly insurmountable challenges. For good measure, she then distilled her whole life story into three easy words, my little thing. So in the face of fairly surmountable challenges, I can ask, what is my little thing today that could make a wee difference?
3: For generations, that mountain was the inspiration of our people. Everything good came out of the mountain, the rains, the clouds, the fog. I grew up in the countryside and as a small young girl there was a huge tree that was near our homestead and next to our tree was a stream. My mother told me, do not collect firewood from the fig tree by the stream. I said, why? And she said, because that tree is a tree of God. I didn't know what she was talking about. But I would run there and collect water for my mother. The stream actually came out of the ground, gushing up from the belly of the earth. Now sometimes there would be thousands upon thousands of frog eggs. They're in black, they are brown, they are white, they're beautiful. I didn't know they were frogs. I would just see these beads and I would put my little hands underneath and try to lift them in the belief that I could put them around my neck and decorate myself. And I would spend hours trying to lift them up. Here I am, and I am so small, and I'm playing with frog eggs and tadpoles. Between the fig tree and the stream, it was beautiful. I guess it was a tree of God. Sixties, I go back to the place I had grown up, and I discover now the place of God was in a church. A stone building had been put up. That's where God was. So this tree no longer called for the respect, it no longer inspired or it no longer was protected. They had cut it, and sure enough, the stream had also disappeared. And if the stream dies, the frog eggs, the tadpoles, the frogs, and everything else that lived in those waters disappears, and we can no longer go there and fetch the water. shed blood because of our land. we will. We have a government in this country that is actually overseeing the destruction of forests and the grabbing of public land. Today, we are faced with a challenge that calls for a shift in our thinking so that humanity stops threatening its life support system. We are called to assist the earth to heal her wounds and in the process heal our own.
6: reading from today. The first Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 12 verses 54 to 56 and 13 6 to 9. Jesus said to the crowds, when you see a cloud writhing in the west, you immediately say it is going to rain and so it happens. And when you see the thousand blowing, you say there will be scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here for three years, I have been com- I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig round it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down.
4: The next reading is from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 3a. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him.
2: thank Alan and Talash for sharing with us those really powerful and helpful stories of people who they find to be inspirational and then we have by inference uh, references to other people including Joy Bodier and John Bunyan. There are so many ways we could go to look at the scriptures that we have heard and I have written something down but I think I just want to say some words, not off the top of my head because I've done the work, but not what I wrote down. Each of these people had a hope, had a dream. Terry Waite hoped to be able to negotiate the release of captives and to a su- degree he was successful, but was then captured himself. Joy Bodier hoped that a postcard might somehow reach somebody far away, probably about as likely as a child's letter to Father Christmas arriving. But it did. Professor Mavai had a dream of equality, recognizing the interconnectedness of all people and all creation. And she tried to do her little thing to make a difference. But we live in a broken world, don't we? A world where hopes and dreams and visions are so easily shattered and broken. A world characterised by something we perhaps don't like to say in our nice kind of kind, compassionate worship. A world characterised by sin. Sin at an individual le- level for sure, but sin more particularly at an institutional or organisational level that says that people don't matter, that forests don't matter, that people are expendable, that, that things will go wrong. And it strikes me that the hopes and dreams and visions of many people of faith are constrained and limited by the reality that we live in a broken and disordered world. It doesn't mean for a microsecond that they got it wrong in their hopes and dreams. It just means that despite their best efforts it didn't quite work out as they had hoped. The story of the fig tree, um, I must admit it was the little clip from the story of Professor Maffei that prompted me to look at the fig tree story. I preached on that many many moons ago long before I came to Hillhead and, and you would not believe that in a bible commentary you get a lesson in how to grow fig trees. Apparently Once you plant a fig tree, it takes three years before any fruit will appear. So there's patience there. And they would be planted in vineyards because they tend to spread out quite wide and would act as a kind of trellis, a natural trellis for the vines. But with the bonus of maybe one day getting some fruit. If you were a devout Jew, the first three years of fruit, you were not allowed to harvest. If you Go away and read Leviticus. You just have to let the animals and the birds enjoy the first three years of the harvest. It's forbidden for people to have it. Only in the seventh year may you harvest it. So the story we heard, the person comes back at the first possible opportunity that there could be fruit. And there isn't. And he just says, oh, well, forget it. And the gardener says, can we give it one more go? Just one more year. We don't know how that story pans out. That's the the mystery and the majesty of parables is they leave it for us to guess the ending so often. Was there fruit next year? Wasn't there fruit next year? Did the tree flourish and thrive or was it actually cut down? And if it was cut down, what was the implication of that for the vineyard? I think there is a provisionality about all the hopes and dreams and visions that we have in this time. We look around us, um, beginning of the Matthew reading, we look around and we can see the signs of the times. We have our hopes and our dreams, but somehow there is a constraint and, and things don't always work out as we hope because we live in a broken and disordered world. But we have a bigger hope, a bigger dream that comes to us from the God who loves us, the God who meets us and redeems us and all creation in Jesus Christ. That beautiful image from the book of Revelation. And we're back to a tree and we're back to a river and we're back to fruit. Leaves that heal the nations, the people. All peoples will be healed, all relationships healed, all hurt removed at the end when that dream finds its complete fulfilment and all kinds of fruit. We live in that now and not yet between Jesus coming and the fulfilment of that vision. So we continue to dream dreams. We continue to have visions. We continue to do our little bit. Because I think the stories of postcards, of frog eggs and tadpoles, of hummingbirds, of our little bit, our little thing, encourage and inspire us to keep on going. As you know, I choose my hymns very early in the week so we have time to dig them out. And I kind of struggled a bit because I had a hymn that didn't quite fit with where my thoughts were going. And then I thought, no, actually, this is absolutely the hymn for us to sing now. Because we are called to be God's prophets, to be a prophetic people. That's one of the values we aspire to. And to be a prophet is to see the world as God sees it in its brokenness, in its sinfulness, and to name that. The role of the prophet is to call each other and the world to lament, to say this is wrong. We are sorry for our part in it. Not that we are individually responsible for everything that goes wrong, but we are part of a society that allows things to go wrong. And then to dream the dream. It's a kind of This is broken. We're sorry. However, there is more than the brokenness. There is a dream that one day, one day, all will be well. And all will be well. And all manner of things will be well. As Julian of Norwich and T.S. Eliot and Kerspears would also have reminded us. And so we are going to sing a song of lament, but it's also a song that has the hope that in God's good time and with our participation doing our little thing, there is a vision to be fulfilled. Thank you, Paul.
7: prayers this morning. Some of the words have been inspired by or adapted from liturgies and prayers which originate from Australia. As we walk on our journey together, we find God walking alongside us, travelling with our questions and anxieties, opening for us wisdom from one who knows the journey. We listen for God. Let us pray. And we begin with a perspective of the wider world as we pray for all the peoples of the earth. We know what's in the headlines. We hear snippets and we catch glimpses of situations, good and bad, that never make the headlines. We know of local areas or specific topics because of our own special individual interests throughout the globe and because of the international charities and organizations we support or the parts of the world from which we come. We can become overwhelmed. But we can also be inspired by individuals who are making a difference, who are doing their little thing, mostly without ever being known to the wider world. And so in a silence, we remember them. We give thanks for their inspiration and we pray for them. BMS World Mission provides a specific global focus for us here at Hillhead. And this week we're encouraged to give thanks for those who have come forward to serve overseas during the pandemic. We pray for those who have recently moved to their country of service and for those in training. We're encouraged to pray for skilled and qualified people to come forward to serve in a number of vacant senior leadership roles within the BMS partner organisation in Afghanistan. And we're encouraged to pray for the upcoming Explore Day on the 6th of November, where people can learn more about serving with BMS. Here in Scotland, Our Baptist Union prayer rotor for this week encourages us to remember the congregations at Pollock, who give thanks for keeping together through Zoom, but are looking for new ways of engaging with their community. At Port Lethen, concerned that over the last year they have lost the momentum that they had gained in the last couple of years, but grateful that the core of their congregation is in steady fellowship. At Portobello, as they seek to be salt and light within their community. At Queen's Park, here in Glasgow, who give thanks for their work in the local community with a variety of people. And at Renfrew, praying that God would equip them, enable them and energise them to serve. And for ourselves here at Hillhead, our prayer rota for this week encourages us to remember Jeff and Carol. Karis. Fiona and Donnie, Barbara and Ken. Edith F. Esan and Anis. Paul F. And Lily. Uh, And today Marit becomes godmother to her best friend's baby girl, baby girl, Medita, who is being baptised today. Marit asks us to please pray for strength and patience for her family and that Medita might grow up as part of a loving congregation in Leipzig in Germany and for our Hillhead community as a whole. We give thanks for each other and for the times when we have found inspiration in each other. We met yesterday in a church meeting. We meet this morning in worship. So let us give thanks for our past and for all those who have beckoned and inspired us to be followers of Jesus. Let us give thanks for the present with all its callings, its stirrings in our souls, its flashes of truth, and its soundings towards love. Let us give thanks for our future before we know it, before we see it. Before we enter it, in faith we invite you, God of our journey, to beckon us on, inspired by all who walk with us in this community that we call Hillhead Baptist Church. We pray that we will commit ourselves again to you and to each other as we enter this time and place and our conversations together trusting ourselves to each other in faith, and walking forward with you. Amen.
2: May the God who loves us, redeems and restores us, inspires and encourages us, help us to imagine new visions of justice and peace, and then to do our little thing as we live the dream
1: today and every day. Amen.